Jesus, the bread of life, Jesus, the word of God, two halves of the mass, this is the word of God, the bread of life. They both feed us, our soul and our spirit, our body, in anticipation of the last day. We want to just look a little bit more, start with a kind of a brief history lesson. My first time here, I wish I'd run into one of you anyway, it would have been more interesting now. We came, a group of us came in search of what lay beyond River Road, or I should say what lay beyond uh, Portland Road up here, and we crossed over and came here. We couldn't find a sign that said St. Ed's, a little rusty old thing, I don't know where it was, and the church was linear like this, looked like the Elks Club. We said, I think this is a Catholic church, so we came over and came over here. So when we built the church, of course, that was a deliberate choice. They could have built it along River Road, which would have made more advertising sense, and then we went and did the same thing, and that was after trying to find the right orientation for the building, because it's not required to do an east-west orientation, but that's traditional. And the reason for that is, frankly, it's so that you can be blinded with the sun in the morning and I get it in the evening, right? <laughs> Somehow it manages to find that little crack between the blinds, too, and hit me right in the face. There's $20,000 down the drain. Does that happen on this side, too? I sure hope so. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry if it does. Um, the idea is, and we'll hear this in the third Eucharistic prayer, it used to say from the east to the west. Now they've, they've translated more accurately, which was always in Spanish, from the rising of the sun to its setting that a pure sacrifice may be offered in his name. That comes from the book of Malachi, the last book of the uh, Old Testament, that God is going to is going to make for himself a pure sacrifice. Now, in the Old Testament times, the Jewish temple, of course, the altar was outside, and this is where the and that's pretty obvious. That was true for uh, pagan uh, temples as well. The animal sacrifices would have to be outside, like a barbecue, if you will. They, it was, in a sense, a sacred barbecue, a sacred meal. They would cook the flesh and give part of it to the to the people that brought it, and part would go to the priest, and part would be a burnt offering. That's how God would sit with us and dine with them. That was their way of doing that. And that symbolism is carried over into the, into the liturgy. All of the apostles were Jewish, so they pulled in as, they, as the mass, what we call the mass, in their early worship, and we have records at the end of the first century from Justin Martyr, if you can look him up, ex- ex- exactly explaining what you would recognize on Sunday. He would come in here and recognize the outlines of what we're doing. It, we follow the same outline now. The word, a synagogue service, the Eucharist, the Passover meal. Um, if, after Vatican II, this, this parish, fortunately, perhaps, is was founded after Vatican II. And again, we come to that, that uh, most famous of phrases, that the people may have full, active, and conscious participation, which again doesn't mean we're all in the sanctuary, we're all doing nothing but talking, or uh, we're all doing what I do. What it means is that we know what we're doing, we pray with our hearts, we listen attentively, we are informed Catholics that, that you know, we are aware of what's going on. In the uh, after Vatican II, and you saw this with, I should have had a picture of this, but I didn't think of it, our, our old altar and and Ambo were a perfect reflection of this, which you saw almost everywhere at that time. And that was that the two would match each other. Um, now, these two go together also, but, but we had a square 
altar, which was very typical in the 70s when I went to Loyola and Marymount University, went to Daily Mass, and they had exactly the same altar after Vatican II. It was an, not an attempt to denigrate the Eucharist, but to make the liturgy of the Word a co-equal part of the Mass, which it is. And so you'd find ambos got much bigger, and altars got much smaller. And you had the same flat wooden panel on the bottom that, that matched the altar, which now we don't try so hard to make them match. It was a bit forced, you know. In fact, I've even seen churches where both were the same size. That's really bad. And then one time in Silverton, I, we came over there in the 90s and found the altar in one corner and the ambo in the other, and in the middle was the priest. So we didn't like that too well either. But pre, pre, in, in those days, there were a lot of, uh, that was an attempt to put the theology in the, in what we uh, worship in, and we still try to do that. Um, they are co-equal, and they, um, it's a different way of God speaking to us before he feeds us. If we don't understand what he's saying, we won't, we won't come for the Eucharist either. That's why Jesus says in this gospel, don't work for what perishes. Here we come to hear what really lasts. It's no fake news in here. This is the real thing. This is the good news. It's what God wishes us to know so that we're not ignorant of what this world is about. It, we have a number of little things that we do here. And uh, the, um, the altar here, when, you go, when one goes to Europe, for example, um, one often finds a saint under the altar. The whole body will be there. Uh, the only one I've ever seen like this, Thomas Aquinas, was actually over my head uh, when I was celebrating Mass in uh, Spain. Where he's actually Spanish. And uh, the the, the the casket was literally over my head, and I thought it was so funny because in Thomas Aquinas' class, I could never figure out what he was saying. He was over my head in class. He was over my head. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord said, don't look now, but he's over your head again. <laughs> um, we, you know, we, we celebrated Mass in the catacombs, and that's something, or let's put it this way. We went to the catacombs went upstairs where a church had been built over the spot where the saint had been buried in ancient Roman times. They didn't go there to hide. Romans knew exactly where the catacombs were. They went there to celebrate Eucharist over the tomb of, a, of someone that gave their lives for the faith. And we carry that forward and uh, in a permanent altar, one has a relic. Ours was under the altar stone as you probably know in the old church you couldn't get it up you break your fingers trying to get that thing fingernails trying to get that thing out of there we now have it on the side that way our kids or whoever's taking a tour of the church can see the relic our relic is saint Clare and probably saint edward that we can't fully verify that and those who placed it there are all no longer with us so we'll have to wait to the next world for that one but it is a valid relic and it probably is saint ed in the uh when the when this was consecrated, hard to believe, five years ago, I'm starting to put pictures in the bulletin of where we were at five years ago this week. It's very interesting. The, um, the uh, yeah, what was I saying? Your, somebody's prayers was answered right there. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll think of it. He, uh, what the bishop poured all over this to the point that I wondered how would they ever get it off and then um, over and over and over 
before it was consecrated, a bunch of us went over the, the building committee and some staff to Mike Grant's workshop. He donated this and saw it in progress. He put tools on it and everything, you know, but once it's consecrated, managed to get all that oil off of there, then only sacred objects and that which is needed for mass is meant to be on it. And so that, that same oil I used in baptisms, uh, that's this, yesterday morning I did 25 baptisms using chrism. I lost my graces, but I want my glory now. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> well, anyway, that is, that's a sign of health, if nothing else is. Um, and then uh, chrism is used for confirmation. We had a, a wedding yesterday where the bride had an adult confirmation earlier this year. So she had two callings of the Holy Spirit in one year. That, that's used whenever we, that's on the forehead for confirmation. It's also used to anoint priests' hands because they're in the liturgy. These aren't my hands. They represent Christ. So the same chrism that comes to the altar will come to the priest's hands. So we have this, this wonderful image. We use incense. We, we probably use it a little more over here now that we uh, used to be in the old church. You couldn't get it out of there all week long, so we, we seldom used it. But it, it represents in the book of Revelation, which I say at every funeral, the divine liturgy in heaven is, uh, there's an image in there of the, the people of God, prayers of God's people on earth soaring to heaven where you have the altar and the Lamb of God behind the altar. Uh, and, the, and the incense is our prayer. So even now, incense is going to heaven um, with our sacrifice and the pure sacrifice, which is Jesus Christ, is the one and only and true sacrifice. That's what incense represents. In the early church, they didn't use it because it was still connected with pagan temples and most importantly, the Jewish temple. But after a couple hundred years, when those memories were gone, the incense comes out of the Old Testament and is very, very biblical. So we begin to see this. Also, you might notice that the bishop also anointed, where are the four places that Jesus or the bishop anointed our church when it was consecrated. The four, the four pillars. And if you look, you can still see the oil. I was a little bit ticked off that he didn't put it on the side where nobody could see it. But people, many people say they enjoy seeing that. You have to look for it. But that's, that's the only time you will ever see that again to anoint the building because the building is part of our worship. We also want to mention, too, you might notice that... Um, that we, the adoration chapels behind the altar, that's not by accident. Um, that, was, that was put there for two reasons. One is, normally one would have the entrance to church by River Road, right? We go around the back for that. That was partly so that the adoration chapel would be mo- the most safest place, was right here. And then also, interestingly enough, which I've mentioned before, I have pictures uh, when they first began after the foundation was laid, that is to say, what's under the floor. The floor wasn't laid till very late. Uh, is the first three walls for the Adoration Chapel, which tells you that this is a house of prayer. So the Eucharist was the foundation of the building. So our Lord then, um, by the way, there's a very good book if you want to learn more about the Mass as the key to the book of Revelation, which it is, is Scott Hahn's the, 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 the Lamb's Supper. It's just wonderful. I've read it three times. So Scott Hahn, The Last Supper the Lamb's Supper. During Mass, then, we're invited to the Lord's table. It's both a sacred, a sacred um, meal and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 
talk about that in the future. We listen attentively to his word, which has been opened up so much in the, in the, in the, in the Eucharist and in the word. This is a, as I say, a synagogue service where somebody would sit down, open the Torah, read the Psalms, sing, do the praises of God, and somebody who had done their bar mitzvah for boys, bat mitzvah for girls, would get up and expound on the scriptures. And so you can see that's basically the liturgy of the word we have today. And then the Passover, of course, is the second half of Mass, which breaks right at the offertory. The end of the intercessions, the beginning of the offertory, is where we go from one to the other. The offering of ourselves, something that is dear to us. You know, our money represents what's important to us. And then we, um, we come together and worship in that way. So we, uh, the more we know about how we worship on Sunday, the more it can affect our lives when we come out. There's, I'll finish with, there is a, a, the first thing we learn in fundamental theology is the phrase, some of you may have heard this, lex orande, lex credende, lex vivende. And in English that means, as we pray, so we believe, so we live. So how we pray from the music to the, our actions to the way we treat each other, the beauty of the building, the, how the liturgy is done, our attentiveness, and, our, and most of all, our understanding of the Mass affects our belief system when we go out, affects how we affect the world, and helps us to fulfill the mission that you and I have been given in life.